You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If you think inflation is bad now, imagine what happens when our railroads go offline just in time for Christmas. All my staff has sick days. Most of the people that work for this body have sick days. Why is Congress doing this? The reason is, Madam Speaker, because the president failed. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Well, may the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus. House Democrats have vastly overperformed expectations, and we will have momentum going into the 118th Congress. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Now it's up to the Senate. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the U.S. House passes legislation to block a rail worker strike. Sending the bill next door with paid sick leave also on the line. We'll have the latest ahead with Art Wheaton, former labor negotiator, now director of labor studies at Cornell University. Did Jay Powell just send the message Wall Street's been waiting for? We'll go to school with Bloomberg's Michael McKee, who was with the Fed chair today. And as House Democrats elect Hakeem Jeffries as their new leader, we'll talk about the challenges ahead with Michael Hardaway, former communications director for Congressman Jeffries. Analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are ready to go. It was a quick one-two punch in the House today. The first punch approving the bill forcing rail workers to accept terms of the agreement that was announced, their labor agreement announced in September. On this vote, the yeas are 290, the nays are 137, the joint resolution is passed. All right, there you have it. The two-punch clearing a bill to provide seven days paid sick time. Dare to dream. On this vote, the A's are 221 and the nays are 207. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The concurrent resolution is adopted. And right. without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. 221-207, he said. Unclear exactly where that second bill, though, is going in the Senate. Either way, it came after Speaker Nancy Pelosi made the case on the floor. They've slashed jobs, increased hours, and cut corners on safety while demanding more and more from the workers. And rather than reinvesting their profits into the workers, over the past decade, they've given $150 billion in handouts to their corporate executives and wealthiest investors. It's just not right. Yet this whole idea of adding this as a separate piece of legislation, the sick time, separate from the other bill that would force workers to accept the deal that's on the table, 
was panned by many on social media overnight. This came out, this whole idea came out in a Dear Colleague letter from Speaker Pelosi after the program yesterday. This is where we begin with Art Wheaton. He's back with us exactly one week later, Director of Labor Studies at Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Art, thank you for being here. A lot's happened since we last spoke, and that's why we wanted to pick up with you here. What did you think of this idea, first of all, to offer these as two separate bills? Well, I think having one bill that got a lot of um, support from both the Democrats and Republicans is the safe way. The second bill, it is up to the Senate to decide whether or not Mm -hmm. they want to add the seven paid sick days. But that's not likely to happen, right? So a lot of people saw this as Nancy Pelosi maybe leaving workers a bit short. Do you not see it that way? I agree that the workers deserve the seven days off, but they need to get enough votes in the Senate for it to pass. Otherwise, we have a strike. Mm -hmm. So if the senators want to add more time, then Nancy Pelosi has given them the bill already passed in the House. But I would I would guess they're not going to add the seven days in the Senate. Right. So, you know, hence the reaction online. It was it was uh, pronounced this morning. Uh, Art, there's been a lot of criticism of the Biden administration for not being able to close this deal. I have a couple questions for you on that. As a former uh, labor negotiator, what pushed the White House, what pushed President Biden to call on Congress to intervene? What was the whisper? What was the phone call? When did they say, oh, my gosh, this is out of our hands now? Well, I'd love to say that he called me first to talk to me about it, but I have no clue <laughs> Maybe what we the, wouldn't be the final push was. Right. But my, my guess is that it's getting close to the holidays and that a lot of the companies make their decisions on whether to ship by rail a week mm. or more in advance. Mm-hmm. So if there's a strike, they will stop sending fuel, chemicals, any kind of hazardous waste. They won't send it by rail if the sni- if a strike is imminent to come. So they needed to have it done a week in advance. And mm-hmm. I think we all know that Congress doesn't act at the speed of light. So sometimes they need a little head time to get it passed. Yeah, right. So this was a Grinch who stole Christmas kind of story, right? They, they could not afford to get it any closer to the holidays. That's correct that they are allowed to go out on strike legally on December the 9th, which means on December the 2nd, which is this weekend, yep. they would they would have to know ahead of time whether there's going to be a strike or not. So getting Congress to act takes time. They wanted to give them adequate amount of time to pass the legislation to avoid a strike. And I think Nancy Pelosi gave them an option to add the days if they wanted to. And I think it also helps to silence some of the Republican senators who were saying, oh, we don't want to pass anything that the workers haven't already said yes to. There's room to add (laughs) what they would agree to. So it's like, okay, if you don't want to pass it without the extra time, here's the extra time if you want to choose to do so. But as you mentioned prior to this, the vote was really close, pretty much along party lines Mm -hmm. when they added the the extra sick days in. Does the Biden administration deserve the level of criticism it's getting? It's coming from both sides of the aisle, Art. Well, if you if you have the job, you get the responsibility. So criticism is part of the job. I think he has pretty thick skin. But But Congress has authority to handle this as well. Right. How come it's all about the executive branch handling this right now? I think he put it in the hands of the Congress. I think Congress does have have the right. It's. Nancy Pelosi passed two options, and now it's up to Mitch McConnell and uh, 
Chuck Schumer to decide which path they want to try to take. Yeah. But whichever path it is, nobody wants to have inflation start creeping up and nobody wants to have a real strike during the holidays. Sure. So it, a lot of them are pointing fingers issue. at the other end of Pennsylvania yeah. Avenue, you know, saying, listen, this is you. You should have closed the deal on this. Don't don't bring us into your problems. And it is fascinating to me uh, to hear you know, Elizabeth Warren essentially sending the same message as as Senator John Kennedy, along with other conservatives. Listen to Elizabeth Warren today on the floor. I still like to see the parties come to an agreement. They're very close. The only thing that stands in the way, as I understand it now, is about sick leave. And uh, I think we should keep yeah. urging the parties in that direction. She doesn't want Congress to solve this any more than he does. But instead of trying to continue to work on it, the president has dumped it on us and said, I want you to intervene. I want you to fix this. And I want you, in doing so, I want you to screw the workers. Maybe for different reasons, but it's that art. All of a sudden, everybody's friendly to union labor. Yeah, I, I, I hope it continues. I'd like them all to be very friendly to union labor for a long time. You're not but too you used to, to that, remember, are you? Yeah, it's, it's not law until President Biden signs it. So uh-huh. there's nothing that's stopping them from negotiating. They can make this deal tonight. They could say, fine, we agree. And we will add the sick days and the union would more than likely ratify it, sign off on it. The problem is, is it takes it takes a little while for a new vote. So what they don't want to happen is another ratification vote that would put it past the deadline for them to go out on strike. So this ends the could end the possibility of a strike if they can pass this. But it doesn't block them from negotiating a new deal. If they announced a brand new deal with the added sick days, Mm -hmm. then I think President Biden would just put it in his pocket and say, I'm not going to sign this if they have a deal. But you don't want to wait until they're out on strike and saying, oh, now we'll have Congress act. That doesn't work very well. Art Wheaton, we heard from Jay Powell today talking about inflation. We're going to have more on this in a minute with Michael McKee. How concerned are you? And and let's let's hear from him for just a second. I'll have you react to his his message on interest rates. It seems to me likely that the ultimate level of rates will need to be somewhat higher than thought at the time of the September meeting and the summary of economic projections. I will return to policy at the end of my comments, but for now, I'll simply say that we have more ground to cover. We have more ground to cover here, Art. How about on the rails? What does this mean for the industry and for shipping? I think if they did go out on strike, it would have a dramatic impact on the inflation, which would mean they would also have to raise rates even higher. So I think they are connected. And I think that's part of President Biden's thinking is we're already having everybody yelling and screaming about inflation. We don't want to have a preventable issue go by the wayside. So if they can stop the strike, you can have it. But I think there was good news in that FOMC meeting saying that the pace of rate increases is likely to slow. So that was good news as well. Thanks for setting up uh, the next leg of this conversation. Art Wheaton, Director of Labor Studies, Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. We talked to him because he's been there, a former labor negotiator. He knows what it's like to be in that room. Very few lawmakers do. As we see the headline on the terminal, Powell signals downshift likely next month. Said a lot today, which is why we want to go to school and have Michael McKee, Bloomberg Economics Editor, help us out here as our translator. Professor, welcome back to Sound Home. Uh, lovely to be here. We're watching 
December. The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Does moderating mean smaller rate hikes or less frequent rate hikes? Moderating means smaller rate hikes, and uh, that is Jay Powell telling the markets, uh, yeah, you heard us right, but you can keep going and you can keep raising rates at this slower pace as long as you need to. Now, Powell also spoke to what sounds like real progress in at least some prices. While 12-month core goods inflation remains elevated at 4.6%, it has fallen nearly three percentage points from earlier this year. So this is really good, right? This is really good. People bought lots of stuff and stopped going out during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so the cost of goods went up because there weren't enough goods to satisfy everybody. To a certain extent, it's the Fed reducing demand, but to a large extent, it's rebalancing the economy. He also spoke a lot about the job market and why we still have a lack of workers. Recent research by Fed economists finds that the participation gap is now mostly due to excess retirements. I thought that was fascinating. So finding balance in the job market is probably still a ways off. The trend was in place that the baby boomers were retiring because they're all hitting that 65-year-old age. But it accelerated during the pandemic as people were out of work and figured, well, I'll just collect my Social Security and I'll retire now instead of maybe coming back. You're not about to retire on us, are you? No, I am not going to be one of those uh, people who's... (laughs) Just making sure. (laughs) Professor McKee, thank you as ever for being with us. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Some called it a trap on Twitter, invoking Admiral Akbar as Speaker Pelosi announced plans to bring a separate bill to the floor for seven days paid leave. That's apart from the main bill that forces rail workers, would force them to accept the labor agreement that was put on the table back in September, a pay increase and all of one paid sick day. Let's assemble the panel. We've got a lot to cover with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shansano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. We were talking about this, uh, of course, yesterday, Rick, with uh, Senator John Thune, his input on this. Can you imagine a world in which both of these bills passes the Senate or does the first bill go? Nancy Pelosi takes credit for trying on the paid sick leave. Well, I do think we uh, uh, heard yesterday that there is a lot of interest in making sure that uh, rail employees have 
uh, appropriate sick leave. And this idea that they can't get any uh, is a deal breaker to a deal, um, I think, really inflamed both Republicans and Democrats. It wouldn't surprise me that uh, that this seven-day sick leave bill, the separate bill that was passed today, uh, could get some support within the uh, uh, Senate with both Republicans and Democrats. Enough to pass, though? Well, I, you know, you need those. You need you need 51 on this one. I don't think mm-hmm. you need 60. And uh, <clears throat> assuming you can get uh, uh, the fl- bill to the floor, and and I, I think that's a possibility. I mean, it's it's sort of a cautionary tale to corporations who, you know, yeah. stand stand hard on their ground when they are negotiating with unions, and then you know, it's like, oh God, let's let Congress solve this problem. Whoops. Uh-huh. And I, and I realize a lot of this is is unique, or at least some of it unique to uh, to the rail industry, Jeannie. But is this the way to be conducting labor policy now? We're getting a pay raise from Congress. You know, it, it's not the way to be conducting policy. But uh, you know, how amazing would that be if they came out of this labor did with much more than they got going into it? You know, it, we shouldn't be making these decisions in Congress. But what a win for labor if they come out with this seven days. I, I don't know that they will, but it would be quite a you know, a success story for them if they did. Let's go back to what we heard from Senator Elizabeth Warren. I still like to see the parties come to an agreement. They're very close. The only thing that stands in the way, as I understand it now, is about sick leave. And uh, I think we should keep urging the parties in that direction. Is that pipe dream, Rick, at this point for lawmakers to be suggesting they go back to the table? Well, I think they're just, you know, sort of doing a shout out for the union negotiators who've been stiffed. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if 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 the uh, uh, negotiators saw the writing on the wall and said, "Well, let's split it and you know give you three and a half <laughs> uh, sick right. days and call it a deal and tell Congress to go home." Right? I mean, all of a sudden there may be some momentum behind that. But as as but we've wouldn't heard, wouldn't that in the be sh- entirely within the realm of possibility at this point? I mean, they see what's coming. If if Rick Davis thinks this seven days passes the Senate, why not go back to the table? Yeah, well, the problem is they've got to show progress in a like immediate term, right? I mean, and unfortunately, these negotiations have you know really long timetables to yeah. negotiate and get members to agree, and you know you don't know if they're going to agree like this last time. So I I I, I can't imagine anybody's going to get in the way of this bulldozer going through Congress right now. Yeah, I got to tell you, Jeannie, uh, Marty Walsh just never calls me like he used to. <laughs> and I was a Boston boy. I where where is the labor secretary? He hasn't been on TV. Haven't seen any op eds. Uh, shouldn't he be? dispatched to some bargaining table right now? Well, you know, I'm sure he's got you on his speed dial, Joe. He's going to call right away. Um, You know, I I think they are doing, though, I would say a good job behind the scenes. Um, You know, you haven't seen some of the big labor groups come out and speak ill of the administration and the work they've done. Um, You know, you do see some uh, unions frustrated that this didn't get done and and then Biden's going to Congress. But by and large, I think they have been working behind the scenes pretty well. And I think Nancy Pelosi uh, taking up these two bills is critically important because it is telling labor, you know, we understand the frustration and we we agree that you need these days and you rightly should have them. Mm-hmm. But we also can't destroy the U.S. economy. We can't allow well, people sure. to be, you know, right before Christmas, increase inflation, all of those things. So it's tricky for Democrats. But I would give the Biden administration pretty good marks on this so far. Does it actually mean that he's busy that we're not seeing the labor secretary or same for transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg, Rick? I, I haven't seen either one talking about this. No. Uh, and I think it is a failure by this administration. That's not you know, deliberate. They, 
they stuck their heads into this and they couldn't solve it. And, and, you know, I don't care who you blame, whether it's Buttigieg or, or Marty, but like, this is, this is a flaw. The last thing they want to do is give control to Congress, you know, to make administration policy on this. And uh, where's, where's the great, you know, defender of unions. Uh, President Biden has been talking about it every day since he was elected and mm-hmm. he can't deliver on one of the most important, uh, you know, labor uh, disputes in his administration. It's incredible. Uh, as as we learn uh, from producer Matt, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg will be meeting with Senate Democrats at lunch Thursday to discuss the legislation. What's the point now, Jeannie? Well, and then he's going to come over and see you, Joe. I, I think yeah, the, yeah. I'll meet you there. <laughs> That's right. I, you know, the point it's critically important. I mean, they need to get this passed through. And let's not forget, we know that it was Buttigieg, Walsh and Vilsack who went to the president and said mm. there is no path to resolve this. And let's not forget, this has been going on for two years. It has been going on a long time. The unions wanted a mandatory expansion of paid leave. They got a bunch of things they wanted. They didn't get that. They do deserve it, but they simply couldn't get it through. And so they're going to go there and try to convince Democrats that we need to get this through now. The risks are too great if we don't. And rightly so. They are doing what they have to do behind the scenes. Is that a chance for the administration to take a little credit here? We swooped in at the last minute, got the senators to vote yes, Rick. Well, if this gets through, they're going to take credit no matter whether they've swooped or not. (laughs) Okay, fine. We keep swooping with our panel all hour. Of course, Jeannie Shansano and Rick Davis with us. As we turn our attention to the new Democratic leader in the House coming up next, his former communications director is with us on Bloomberg. Introducing your new Democratic leadership rolled out today in the House. Good afternoon, everyone. It's an honor to stand before you today uh, as the incoming House Democratic leader for the 118th Congress that will convene on January 3rd and to be joined by my two good friends, amazing colleagues and partners, the incoming House Democratic Whip, Catherine Clark, and the incoming caucus chair, Pete Aguilar. There it is, the new trio led by Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of New York, who went out of his way to thank Nancy Pelosi and has been very clear about this in his ascension to power, that he couldn't have done it without her. And I could only think back to January of 2019. I'll never forget being in the House chamber as the young congressman from New York introduced Nancy Pelosi, who would become speaker again. Let me be clear. House Democrats are down with NDP. Nancy D'Alessandro Pelosi, the once and future speaker of the United States House of Representatives, I proudly place her name in nomination. May God bless her. May God bless the United States of America. Place went wild. It was the first day all the lawmakers had their kids with them. And I wonder, Michael Hardaway, if if you knew at that point he would become leader. Here's the thing. I began working with the team in 2014. And within a year, so by 2015, I knew that he could be the next leader of our party in the House of Representatives. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. We live in an era where messaging is everything in politics. And I just witnessed my former boss in Barack Obama really ride his ability to message right into the White House. And King Jeffries has that very same skill. He can truly uh, speak the way that people think 
and really make everyone feel involved and included. And that has real power mm. in politics in 2022. And so this is his moment and he's the person for this moment. And I'm incredibly proud of him. Well, let's talk about what this moment is, because, you know, we've we've seen Nancy Pelosi uh, holding the gavel for quite some time now. Democrats will be back in the minority and that really changes the contours. It really changes the mission of the party. Right. Uh what will Hakeem Jeffries bring to the table other than opposition? And that is part of being in the minority party. Yeah, that's a very good point. And what's interesting about this particular moment is that Hakeem will be the minority leader who has an outsized amount of power because the Republicans will have such a slim margin on every single vote. Hakeem will have significantly more power than previous minority leaders have had. But I will say this. I think with Hakeem Jeffries at the helm, everybody wins. He's a dyed-in-the-wool progressive who has spent his entire career fighting for working people and fighting to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. He also has worked in corporate America at one of the most respected law firms in the world uh, and also worked as an attorney for a global media company. And so he understands Hmm. the challenges that American businesses deal with and what that looks like. And so you've got someone who really understands across the board how all of this works and can really move the ball forward, I think, for the American public in a way that very few people can. How does he work with Kevin McCarthy, assuming Kevin McCarthy gets the votes and and the gavel here? Because it's been widely reported that they are not fans of each other. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. I'll say to you that, you know, we work with Donald Trump in the First Step Act. And so Hakeem Jeffries doesn't operate in terms of only working with people that he personally likes. That's not the way that he is. He's a big fan of making progress in whatever way possible, whether it's incremental or significant. Whoever's on the other side doesn't matter as much as what the issue is that can be changed. It can make life a lot more difficult, too, especially if the new speaker is a real problem uh, for Hakeem Jeffries. You know, this, this takes two. Yeah, it, no, you're absolutely right. And by the way, to your point, it's not clear whether McCarthy survives. All of my Republican friends in the House tell me that they don't expect that. And so we'll see what happens there. But I can tell you this. The King Jeffries has a pretty good relationship with Steve Scalise. And so if <laughs> Scalise rises to speaker, I think that dynamic changes significantly. Wow. Well, that boy, that was the name uh, on all the tip sheets this morning, Michael Hardaway. Uh <laughs> That if this keeps going the way it's going and, you know, Representative Andy Biggs keeps speaking the way he says there are 20 firm no's. Steve Scalise, without saying a peep, comes from behind and becomes the new speaker. Is that where your money is? That's where my money is. And I think that's that's probably where we're heading. Michael Hardaway, great to have you back. Founder of Hardaway Wire, which provides political intelligence to CEOs and from time to time, our audience here on Bloomberg Sound On, former communications director for, yes, Hakeem Jeffries. A quick turn with the panel here, because I'd love to hear what you both think about this. We did hear from Representative Andy Biggs today uh, saying that uh, we need a change at the top. But the the Democratic leadership is fixed now, it appears, Jeannie. That was unanimous today and a pretty big deal for New, for New York, uh, I suppose, as well. 
Yeah, go Brooklyn, a really big deal. We've got a New Yorker, the head of the Democrats in the House and the Senate. Um, I don't know the last time we've had that. And, you know, Hakeem Jeffries is a superstar. He has risen so fast. I mean, people forget how quickly. I mean, he just came to Congress in the mid-2000, what was it, 2015 or 2013, I think it was. And his star has risen so fast. And the fact that he got unanimous consent in his uh, his speaker vote, it's truly remarkable. Remarkable. But he's got a big job ahead of him. The, the Progressive Caucus, over 100 members next term, yep, and right. he's going to have to keep control of that caucus. And there's some tension with some of the members there. What do Republicans think of him, Rick, backing off from the, the specifics with uh, Kevin McCarthy? How's he going to deal with this party? Uh, you know, it's it's tough to say. I think that Republicans basically see him as a continuation of sort of the Pelosi legacy, um, you know, sort of just the next generation's attempt yeah. to. Well, that would uh, be kind of true. Right? It. And it, it would be true. And and, and so uh, I think that the, the nature of the beast is that, that this is going to be a long time to see how Hakeem Jeffries becomes a power and he's got plenty of time to commit to it. So yeah. uh, we'll all be uh, watching closely uh, what his first few moves are. Another fascinating day in the nation's capital. We'll continue with Rick and Jeannie next as we focus on that leadership battle on the Republican side of the House. This may not end the way Kevin McCarthy thinks it will. We'll go to Georgia for the latest. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And the palace intrigue continues on the Republican side of the House where Kevin McCarthy wants to be Speaker. It has just about one month to make it happen, knowing that there are roughly 20 Republicans Who will not vote for him to hold the gavel? That number, by the way, reinforced today by Congressman Andy Biggs, who himself was running for speaker. I think he's still in the race. He got, gosh, 30 votes or something when the caucus went to vote. And he was asked in the corridors of the House today what the problem is. here. We look at it and you say, how does an establishment become an establishment? And if we continue to elect the same leaders, are we going to keep doing the same things that we're doing? We're going to make a change. And I think that people fundamentally would like to see us make a change. So Steve Scalise, stand by. 
Uh, we do wonder what's going to happen here. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano have been watching this, of course, all along. Our signature panel is back here uh, for one more turn this hour. Uh, Jeannie, Steve Scalise's name in, in the very beginning was popping everywhere, right? This was the idea. And then it, it got real quiet. He's been playing it super cool. Uh, does this end with a, a Speaker Scalise? You know, I don't know in the immediate offing if it ends with a Speaker Scalise, but in the long term, it very well may. I mean, it, it seems like it's a time where you'd rather be second in, you know, in waiting versus mm. the one on the chopping block. And we know oh. from, from McCarthy's tone when he came just out of the White House yesterday, he was so combative, and it's a clear sign he does not have the votes at this point. And he may squeak them out with these deals, but wait until he gets into that position. He's going to have to deal with these people he made the deals with and very well could result the same way the previous Republican speakers have in Boehner and Ryan. And then Steve Scalise would be well positioned to pick up the slack. Are you still considering this as an option, Rick? The Scalise option? Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we got to give sort of first pass to, um, you know, to Kevin McCarthy. I mean, he is cutting deals. And believe me, if, if this all turns out and Stephen Scalise becomes speaker, it's because He's cut all those deals, too. Uh, <laughs> it's not like you get a free pass if you're second in line. And, yeah. and so I think that, that we have to really understand that, that, that McCarthy's not going to be outbid by Stephen Scalise, but he may get outmaneuvered by you know, some of the right-wing uh, side of his equation. I mean, when does he head down to Mar-a-Lago and get Donald Trump to start making calls for him? He, he, he certainly well, that's a great question. debased himself after January 6th by going down there and begging for the job. Wasn't that the uh, point? <laughs> Wasn't that the point? Weren't these the guys? Yeah, time to cash in that chit. So that's next then, Jeannie. Like next weekend, maybe a little closer to Christmas, you see him photographed at Mar-a-Lago. They're both there with the thumbs up in front of the Christmas tree. Is that You know, <laughs> we very well might. But at this point, I, I don't know that, that Donald Trump is in sort of a, you know, holiday mood to give passes to Kevin McCarthy, especially <laughs> yeah. since Kevin McCarthy was out there criticizing his dinner with the anti-Semites. So, you know, he, and he, he did a mild criticism, but I don't know that Donald Trump's going to give him that pass at this point. Well, we shall see. It's something that we uh, we have a little bit of time uh, to figure out here. And you do wonder, to your point, Jeannie, what Kevin McCarthy was thinking when he was in the driveway at the White House yesterday. I want to ask you both about the latest turn in the uh, Georgia Senate runoff. This time it has to do uh, with the homestead. And by that, I mean the homestead exemption. State investigators are being urged to uh, to look into whether Herschel Walker broke the law uh, by receiving a tax break on his home in Texas. Did you know he lives in Texas? Apparently, this everyone knew this. Uh, never left. Uh, for This is a, a tax break for primary residents of the state as he's running for federal office in Georgia. CNN then cranks out some uh, piece of tape of him saying that he lives in Texas. I was sitting in my home in Texas, and I was seeing what was going on in this country. Terrible quality. I'm sitting at my home in Texas, he says. You know, Raphael Warnock, the, the Democrat here, the incumbent, uh, isn't missing a beat. Herschel Walker was a great running back. And we're getting ready to send him running back to Texas. Okay. Uh, does this stuff matter, Rick? They obviously made a big deal out of it in the Pennsylvania Senate race. Dr. Oz living in New Jersey. They had Stevie Van Zant, Snooky out there. Do voters care about this? 
Yeah, I think the distinction there is Oz didn't have any real footprint in Pennsylvania before those attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be very hard to convince anybody in Georgia that Herschel Walker isn't the jewel of Georgia. I mean, mm -hmm. he is probably the most successful athlete in the history of Georgia. And, and so Georgia wants to claim him as a favorite son. It's not that he necessarily wants to, but the reality that? is whether he was at te in Texas thinking about running or, whether, or regardless of he could have been in Alaska, he's still seen <laughs> in Georgia as a Georgian. Well, you know, he continued to claim that this home in Tarrant County uh, was his primary residence, potentially breaking both Texas laws and some Georgia rules. I read in Axios, Jeannie on establishing residency for the purpose of voting or running for office. So you, you, you actually upset both states at once. That's right. And he also apparently did some Zoom campaign events from his primary residence, as he calls it, in Texas. Well, he also did a bunch of Fox interviews from there, too. Exactly. And, and you know, it shouldn't be a huge surprise. I'm not a huge football fan, but he did play right for the Dallas Cowboys. Does but, anyone care, though? I mean, this is the stuff that we get, you know, lathered up about in the media. Does anyone care? I, I don't know that it's going to change a lot of votes, but I will say this. I think it's a sign of a really, really messy campaign. <laughs> that they didn't sort this out at the beginning and handle it. And, you know, he's running for Senate in Georgia and they're allowing this to come up because he says it over and over and puts it on his tax, rec tax records. I mean, that's just something that should have been addressed early on by his campaign if he had been properly vetted and not handpicked by Donald Trump. And then nobody would care, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> the latest on Twitter, where much of this is unfolding, uh, hits home at the White House today as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter uh, would warrant a government review if it was uh, enough to raise national security concerns based on some of the money he had helping him back this uh, purchase, right? Uh, she's walking back comments that had, that had played down the need for security and talked about it at this New York Times event today. Remember, she she had told CBS News that she didn't see any need to be investigating Twitter. This is uh, what she said today. I think it's a good thing if Apple was looking at the content. Look, most broadcast um, broadcast stations are um, you know, subject to standards in terms of um, what they broadcast to the public. And Twitter's not really that different. Twitter's not that different from broadcasters, which have standards. So here we go. She said... Uh, as well, I'm not going to say what it is we're looking at because we don't comment on what's in progress. So something is moving here. And it did come up in the White House briefing today. Uh, the Fox reporter there, Peter Ducey, had a little back and forth with Corrine Jean-Pierre. When you say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there, if you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down? So look... You know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it is uh, I, I hate to break it to you, Peter, just like everybody else. We very much monitor the news. We pay close attention to everything that you all are reporting and and Twitter's in the news a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. <laughs> so nobody really understands what's going on here. I'm assuming they're monitoring truth along with you as well, Jeannie. Uh, but what is the White House talking about here? Uh, when it comes to Twitter, what's Janet Yellen talking about at a New York Times event like this, just, just sort of uh, suggesting that there might be a federal investigation underway? Yeah, there might. First of all, nobody monitors truth the way I do, Joe I Matthew. I believe that. But, <laughs> no, you know, 
I thought it was a little loose of Janet you know, to be make, making this these comments, but the reality is, is we are seeing just, for instance, out of the EU, the warning to Elon Musk of a possible Twitter ban under these new rules. I don't think this can be a surprise <laughs> for anyone. We see the governor of, of South Dakota, Christy Nome, banning yep. employees at the state level from using TikTok. So, you know, you know whatever Peter Ducey is saying, and I think he's right to ask the question, the reality is, is that there is going to be increasing talk in D.C. and other uh, places around the world in terms of addressing these social media companies, and Twitter's no exception to that. I'm sure I'll take a shot for this, Rick, but it's a private company. Can't I mean, how about the White House and everyone else who doesn't want to be there cancel their account? Wouldn't that fix it? Uh, that would certainly send a message. <clears throat> uh, but I think Yellen has walked back this whole thing and saying, oh, there's no reason to investigate them. So I, I'm as confused as anybody else is as to what the position this administration's <laughs> taken on Twitter. Now, we know they already don't like uh, Elon. And so not having Elon at events in the White House uh, celebrating EV technology and, yeah. and, and accessibility uh, was, was, was the first year. The second year going to be going after him on Twitter? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think Elon's doing a good enough job hurting himself. Nobody needs to jump <laughs> in on like that it. pit. <laughs> yeah, he jumped into the Fed uh, debate today as well, Jeannie, telling Jay Powell to quit with the rate hikes. Uh, that was a tweet at 4 o'clock in the morning, which reminded a lot of us of another guy with a lot of money who used to tweet at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's right. And who could be back maybe after December 7th or 8th. I guess so. Elon Musk would love that. So he's probably like making him jealous that he's tweeting in the middle of the night in these sort of loose. <laughs> Does that you know, mean you think Trump waits past the uh, the runoff? Is that is that why the seventh? Well, you know, I, I think that, and I think there's also some meetings going on about truth. You know, I'm deeply involved in truth, Joe. So, okay. you know, I, I think there is some de- talk about the deal, the SPAC deal. I think after that, we may see him back, particularly if his campaign continues to implode. So the day Jeannie disappears from this broadcast, you'll know she was in on the <laughs> SPAC deal. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, thanks to you both. The best panel in the business, and always great to spend time with you. Here on Bloomberg Radio, I'll meet you back here tomorrow on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.